0: The American media and entertainment industry is the largest in the world, worth over $660 billion. You ever ask yourself why? What? Why do we have the largest entertainment industry in the world? That's easy because we love it so much. We love it. We love entertainment more in this country than just about anything else. We spend more time and money on entertainment than anybody else because we can, we can afford to, and we just love it. And so that's the next American Idol we're looking at in the series on American Idols, identifying the things in our society and culture that compete with our attention and our affections and our allegiance to Christ, and what he says that our lives are to be about. And we'll keep the same outline as we have the past two weeks. We'll look at the lie, the truth, the church, and the challenge. Okay, so we're examining the lies we're prone to believe about what the idol offers, the truth of God's word about the idol, and the effects our devotion to it has on our society in America. And then the church and its response to America's idolatry. And then the challenge, what are we going to do about it? Right? What, what, what can we do differently? What keeps this sermon from just being something that touches my ears that we say amen to in agreement, uh, but really doesn't make any difference in our lives? In the passage we're looking at this morning is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. I think your bulletin probably says through verse 9 we're looking at 1 through 5. So join me now again in reading God's word in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verse 1, hear now the words of the one true and living God, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you are honest with us that you're honest with us about who we are apart from Christ. And Lord, that you don't just leave us there, but that you you sent your son to die in our place so that we could be forgiven. You've given us your spirit, as we talked about earlier this morning, so the lights come on, and we have eyes to see and ears to hear. We thank you for the, the truth of your word this morning, Lord, and we pray that it would search out our hearts, that we would be sensitive to Your word, that you would enable us by your spirit uh, to obey it. God, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, first thing to note about about this passage you know, Christians will often read this today and think this is something we're we're looking for now, right? Like, oh, oh man, surely he's talking about today. Look how bad things are getting. You know, this is that's us. This is the last days. And I hope I'm not bursting any any bubbles this morning, but Paul didn't write this letter to you, right? <laughs> he didn't write this letter to 21st century American Christians. He wrote this letter to Timothy in the first century. And he said Timothy should expect to witness this himself. And he gives Timothy instructions on what to do in his ministry at this time in light of these things that he can expect to be dealing with. So this was true in Timothy's context in the first century. And yes, it's true in America today. There's nothing new under the sun, right? And what was true of people then is true of people now. We like to amuse ourselves and distract ourselves from loving God and loving neighbor, and the results are always the same. A society of people that look just like what Paul describes here. Is entertainment to blame? No. Man's idolatrous heart is to blame. Man's desire to find something other than God, to satisfy him, and to find some other pattern for life to follow, something else to make his life about, that's that's what makes this true of people then and now. Entertainment's just one of those things that men seek and value more than God. And what it does is it corrupts the man, and it corrupts what the man makes, including entertainment. Entertainment ends up not being what, the good thing that it's supposed to be. You know? Entertainment's good. Right? We'd all agree with that. Our access to film and to music and to art allows us, it's, it's given us a way to experience uh, different cultures and, and to, to sort of go places that we will never actually get to go. That's a wonderful thing. There's a lot of things I know, y'all, that I wouldn't know had somebody not made the time to make a YouTube video, right? Like, I'm I'm working on a master's degree in in YouTube uh, information for home improvement projects and how to to build things and fix stuff that breaks. There's songs that we've all heard that that put into words feelings that we've had but have had difficulty communicating, you know? We've all laughed until we've cried at a good comedy. We've cried until we had no more tears. Left to cry at a good heartfelt drama. Entertainment is not a bad thing. It's a good thing that can be enjoyed to the glory of God and bring us closer to one another, help us to relate to one another. It has the ability to invite us to appreciate God's uh, diverse and expansive creation and glorify God by being little creators ourselves. Right, Having been made in his image, we're little creators ourselves. And God blesses the creativity of his creatures. And our enjoyment of each other's creativity is a blessing from him. But idols are often good things that God intends for us to enjoy one way. But then we corrupt them by enjoying them in a way that he didn't intend for us to enjoy them. Or we cherish them more than him. We should enjoy what we have received from the hand of God for our entertainment, but where we let those enjoyments satisfy sinful desires in us, or we allow them to excuse us from our mission to love God and to love neighbor, then we have made what might have been a good thing an idol, something we love too much, something that competes with Christ for his rightful place in our hearts. So here's the lie, point number one. Here's the lie we are prone to believe that makes a good thing like entertainment an idol for us. Here it is. You need a way to escape reality. And that's what entertainment provides for us, an escape. If you get uncomfortable in your boredom or just want to forget about the burden that life has on you right now, just, you know, reach into your pocket, pull out your phone, and just slip away. Turn on the tube, surf incessantly in pursuit of something to distract you from whatever it is that you're trying to avoid. Or go looking for something to excite you out of what you think is a dull and unimportant life. Stare into that screen and just let the real world melt away. Let me, let me throw some statistics at you. that that, that I drummed up as I was looking at this this week screen time on average for children ages 8 to 18 what do you think per day seven and a half hours okay seven and a half hours kids eight to ten it is six hours a day kids eight to ten it's it's six hours per day That's not counting time, y'all, spent on, you know, uh, school assignments. This is TV, internet, social media, and video games, okay? And I'm not going to demonize playing video games. I don't think playing video games is sinful, and I I don't think the Bible calls it sinful. But here's what's interesting, okay? This is revealing. 96% of millennials who play video games say they play for an average of 11 hours every week, That same number, 96%, overwhelming majority, 96% of Gen Z gamers say they play for 13 hours a week. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say not all of that time is enjoyed to the glory of God. (laughs) It's an escape. Entertainment is a way of escape from the inconveniences of life, like boredom, right? What do we do with our boredom? We seek relief from it, don't we? We try to get on board. And there's good ways to do that, and there's bad ones, and media entertainment isn't always a bad way to get on board. But what the reality of boredom translates to is inactivity in our lives. And if we're trying to ignore the reality of our inactivity by just amusing ourselves through it, well, that's what makes it bad. If we're willing to ignore our duties and our responsibilities or our relationships to our neighbors that we're called to love as ourselves, and we just rush to entertainment to turn off that little indicator light of our inactivity that we call boredom, then entertainment has become an idol. We're not just trying to escape boredom through the idol of entertainment, though, right? Not just boredom. What do we do with social anxiety? What do do we do with friction and relationships with people around us? We ignore them, don't we? Entertainment gives us a good way to do that. We try to distract ourselves from them, and that distraction we crave is always just right at our fingertips. Today it is, right? Right? That's what we're prone to do. If we have to stand in the checkout line at the grocery store, y'all, I've been guilty of this. If we, have to st- if we have to stand there for two minutes and forty-three seconds in line, right, and just can't endure the boredom, just get out the phone, right, and start scrolling, scroll right through the boredom, and we don't have to look at or talk to anyone in line. We can be by ourselves. In public. I miss blockbuster video, y'all. You know, if you, if you were born after the turn of the century, you missed it. You know? We had, we had to walk into a building and walk up and down aisles and, and handpick movies on tapes the size of your face. You know, and after after it was VHS tapes, it was DVDs, but it still was a, it was a physical thing. You know, and the walls, uh, right? The perimeter of the stores where the new releases were—that was the good stuff. And this was stuff you waited years to come out on video, right? Movies didn't just come out of the theaters right onto video. That just wasn't a thing, right? You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like now where you can just you can just stream anything that that you want. Uh, you know, there was there was a limited quantity of things. You know, we we didn't have on demand. There was supply and demand, so you could leave Blockbuster disappointed. But what yeah, what did you do though if they didn't have what you were looking for? You, you went up you went up to the counter and you asked the person, Hey, are you looking at return bin for me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the second best thing about Blockbuster was you had to be a member remember that? You had to be a member of Blockbuster, you had to be a card-carrying movie watcher. And I was probably as excited about getting my Blockbuster card as I was about getting my license. <laughs> the, the second best thing was, was the membership thing. The best thing, though, the best thing really, as I look back and, and reminisce on that and miss that, was being there on a Friday night with all different kinds of people from your community. We called them neighborhoods back then. Neighborhood, neighborhoods got smaller somehow, right? Wasn't just your, it wasn't just your subdivision and who lived on your street. You could know who lived in your neighborhood because y'all went the same blockbuster. The good old neighborhood blockbuster. And we were like each other's advisors, right? Like movie mafia consiglieries, Right? You, you, you'd be standing there and you'd see somebody next to you pull a, a, a title off of the shelf and flip it over and start reading the description on the back, something that you'd seen before, and you're like, oh, that's good. You've got to watch that. And they'd say, oh, really? It's good. And you're like, real good, you know? And they'd thank you with a smile, and then you'd know you just did that due to favor. There, there was a connection there, is what I'm saying, Right? There's a piece of that that entertainment, procuring that entertainment. There was a connection there, and we don't get that anymore. We we get our entertainment on tap, at home, in private. And even when we are in public, we escape into our private enjoyment of entertainment. And so entertainment, a thing that can and should be enjoyed to the glory of God, becomes an escape. It becomes a way of ignoring responsibilities and people. That's how we know it's become an idol. If we've believed the lie that we need an escape from reality. Here's the truth. When we devote too much time, too much of our time, too much of our energy, too, much, too many of our resources to anything, including entertainment, it's just a big one in America, then what happens is our hearts learn to despise anything that competes with it. That's how you get a list of characteristics like Paul gives Timothy here. These are characteristics of people who despise God and don't want him meddling with the things in their life they love more than him. We've made a big investment in our distractions, right? And and so anything that distracts us from our distractions or interrupts them is an unwelcome inconvenience and that includes God. If you want to get to the bottom of idolatry in the heart, you have to ask yourself, what is God getting in the way of in my life? That can be work, school, or it can be whatever it is that you, when, whatever you want when you're done with work and school, and it could be entertainment. And if it is, that's okay. If it's a recreation enjoyed to the glory of God, and not just a way of escaping the reality that loving God and loving neighbor sometimes feels like sacrifice. What do I want that God is keeping me from? That's a question to answer. That's how you get to the bottom of idolatry. What do I want that God is keeping me from? Where's my sense of duty toward God interfering with my enjoyment of entertainment? When I'm bored, anxious, or experiencing strain and difficulty in relationships, what am I running to instead of God's word Instead of God's comfort that I find in prayer with him, where, what am I running to to remedy this disquiet in my heart? Those are some questions you can ask to help you find it. And once you've found it, kill it. I know that sounds extreme, right? But I, I mean that because Jesus says you can't have both, right? Right? You can't have both. You can't serve both. That's the truth. That doesn't make the entertainment itself bad. We've said that. It means the entertainment has become a master. And you can try to serve that master. You can try to serve both masters. But you will end up loving one and hating the other. Doesn't Jesus teach that? You can try to serve both, but you will end up hating one and loving the other. So which one will it be? That's what it comes down to. Self is really what's at the center of all idolatry. And entertainment's no exception, right? This list of characteristics Paul gives Timothy opens and closes with self. They're lovers of self, dot, 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 dot. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And what happens as a result of idolatry of any kind is all that stuff you get in the middle greed. Pride, arrogance, abuse, disobedience, ingratitude, unholiness. You get a population of heartless, unappeasable, slanderous people with no self-control who are brutal, hate good, are treacherous, reckless, and swollen with conceit, stuck on themselves. Sound familiar? What's to blame? Hollywood? No. Not entertainment itself, but has our unordered love of entertainment bred these things in our society? Has it bred pride, arrogance, abuse, disobedience to parents, thanks Disney, ingratitude, unholiness, Has it made us a heartless people who are hard to please? Who gossip about and slander about people we don't even know? Yes. It breeds those things. In the lives of those directly involved in designing the entertainment. And in the lives of those that the entertainment is designed for. Because we forget what entertainment is ultimately designed for and by whom. Entertainment's not a bad thing. It's something we're meant to enjoy and it's to be ordered properly on our list of priorities. If it's something we enjoy as a gift, living here under the sun, you know, a gift coming from the hand of God that's that's an ease and a comfort and a blessing that we can enjoy under the sun, then it's good. If it's an escape from the reality of living under the sun or something you feel like God is encroaching on your enjoyment of, then it has become a master and that is idolatry and it always leads to despising God as our master it always leads to hating or being indifferent indifference is hate it is becoming indifferent toward our neighbors that we're called to love as ourselves that's how you get that list in 2 Timothy 3 Jesus didn't do that with entertainment though did he? and he didn't just do without it either that wasn't the solution He didn't just abstain from a good time in order to avoid these pitfalls somehow he knew how to enjoy gifts of god while honoring god and loving people you you think about uh you know he never ignored people in order to continue enjoying himself and i'm reminded of uh, the, the wedding in Cana, the water to wine. You guys remember this, right? He's hanging out, partying with friends. It's a party, and it and gets interrupted. And, you know, two things different about the way that Jesus enjoyed his entertainments. First of all, he was enjoying the company of people. There are people with him in his entertainments. Now, he would retreat from people, to get alone with God. He did that often, didn't he? But that's a lot different than running to entertainment in order to escape reality or escape people. And two, he allowed interruptions to his entertainment in order to bless people, right? His entertainment was never uh, so important to him that he couldn't be stopped to serve someone else. So he never used them as a retreat. Jesus never allowed entertainment to please him so much that he could not be pleased by his fellowship with the Father, and he was never so busy in his entertainment uh, that he ignored his neighbors. So a rightly ordered enjoyment of entertainment is a good and God-honoring thing when it's received as a welcome recreation and blessing rather than being the thing doing the blessing. See that difference? when rather than an escape from reality, we really just view it as a part of reality, and the reality is this. We serve a good and gracious God who is a loving Father who delights in blessing His children and knows how to give good gifts. A good and noble King who spares no expense on the refreshment of his loyal subjects. That's what entertainment is. The truth is, God isn't keeping anything from you. But there are plenty of things out there that may be keeping you from him. Guard ourselves from idols. Guard our hearts from idols. We have to recognize that in our country and society, entertainment's a big one. It is. It's a big one. Point number three, the church. How does the church in America respond to the idol of entertainment? And just quickly, I'll remind you of something I I think I mentioned last week. This idea of like the church as institution, the thing we think of as the church. And then the church as an organism, us, the people that make up the body of Christ. So what the church as an institution represents, the church as an organism has a duty to carry out, to represent out into the world. And so, it's the small and ordinary, seemingly insignificant ways that the people of God faithfully live out their lives in light of the gospel that God uses to effectuate change in a culture. You know, we talked a lot last week about how, you know, we have the tendency to sort of outsource all the big stuff to, like, the church instead of recognizing our involvement right our ability by the power of the spirit to be engaged and enlisted in this work so as christians we can demonstrate to the world y'all the church has a better way there's the challenge in order to do that the church has to look different though doesn't it not just not just the church building right christians the church the people have to look different we have to do things differently Our families have to look different. Amanda and I went out to dinner Friday night. And it was, uh, this is like a once a year restaurant. Like it burns me up when I see people wearing T-shirts and ball hats at a restaurant I'm going to get to go to one time this year, right? But it was a special occasion. It was a belated Mother's Day celebration. And my wife homeschools our six children, or well, four of the six. So it was like teacher appreciation day, end of the year. So we go to this nice restaurant, and what burned me up wasn't the dude in the hat as much. I wanted to, like, get him a jacket, but, you know. I look over here, and there's a family of uh, five, mom, dad, and and three, like, teenage boys. And the whole time, y'all, their faces were lit up blue because they were staring at their phones. And I'm not exaggerating. I mean the whole time like could barely be bothered to look away from it to talk to the waitress when she came by. Something's wrong there. You know, somebody might try to like run to their defense and be like, oh, well, you know, different parenting styles or whatever. And, you know, some people's kids can't sit still. They were teenagers, first of all. Second of all, they got that way because when they were little, you did that. You taught them it was okay to just tune out. Christian families need to look different in small, seemingly insignificant, ordinary little ways. Because it's little things like that, y'all, that gets us a bunch of disconnected people in a society who grow up in disconnected families who have been conditioned to privately entertain themselves to death. The church has a better way. The people of God have a better way. We don't just live for temporary moments that make us happy and distract us from things we don't like in the world. We aren't trying to escape boredom and duty and people that God says we are to love. And You know y'all we have to be reminded this life is anything but boring. I mean if we think it's boring we haven't been paying attention. This reality we're living in this isn't something we want to escape. We've been called and called for a purpose. Our lives have meaning. What we do in this life matters. Knowing what we know because of God's gracious gift to us and his word that we've been enabled to believe by faith in Jesus and, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we get to work heartily as unto the Lord, knowing that we will receive the inheritance as a reward. Is that a reality that excites you? We get to live knowing that because Christ died for us, there's no guilt in this life that we have to run away from. There's no shame in death. We also can live knowing that all things are lawful for us, the great freedom in knowing that, right? All things are lawful for us, but he gives us the wisdom to know that not all things are profitable. And so we can enjoy our entertainments to the glory of God without them becoming a master over us that causes us to be selfish and lonely and bitter and closed off people who only look out for themselves. And y'all, I mean, it doesn't, you don't have to be a Christian to look at this list that Paul gives Timothy and say, yep, that looks familiar. That. <laughs> you know, there's a reason Christians read this today and they're like, oh, he's talking about us. Because he is. There's nothing new under the sun. This is how people are. And the world has no answer for it. You realize that? The world has no answer for it. The church does. The church has a better way. The church has a better way because the church has a better message. Later in the same chapter of Paul's letter to Timothy, he says, Preach the word. And he warns them why. He says in chapter 4, verse 3, The time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires. And their desires won't be Christ and his word. And we talked about that last week some. You know, everybody just becomes consumers and critics in the church. He says they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander off in a midst. And sometimes the church in America is tempted to compete in the entertainment sphere. That's what we've got to do to get people's attention. You know why? Because they love entertainment more than they love God. Well, if we're going to get them to love God, we've got to look like the entertainment. And the church fails because it was never designed to do that. The church was never designed by Jesus to entertain people bored with the gospel. I think about a quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, A time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. So the church, rather than making itself more palatable for people who hate church, and and to look more like what they're used to seeing in the world, let's just get some of that in here, right? Then people will come. Instead of that, it needs to remain distinct and preach the word, as Paul told Timothy. That's the church's response to idolatry and its fruits in society. That's, that's what it does. The church needs to be filled with people unlike any other because we serve a God like no other. And when God's people are reminded and convinced of that, that we truly serve a God like no other, who is, uh, alone is worthy of our lives because he spared no expense to purchase our lives by the blood of his son, our priorities become ordered, right? Our mission becomes clear. It's hard to be bored when you're on a mission. We love God and we love neighbor and all that entails. We become less self-focused, okay? Self is always behind idolatry. That's what's at the bottom of it. But when when we are reminded of the gospel that reorients us, that reorders our priorities. We become more clear on our mission. We become less self-focused, and that's what God wants for us. That's what he wants for his people, to be more focused on Jesus than we are on just pleasing ourselves. what, What a pitiful existence, you know? Live what, you know, 80 years and change just trying to chase a feel? God wants us to be less focused on self, that we wouldn't be lovers of self, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, as Paul warns Timothy, that we wouldn't merely have the appearance of godliness, he says, but deny its power. We need to be reminded that power is world-changing. You realize that? Don't, Don't be underwhelmed by that, you know? Jesus didn't leave his disciples behind and say, hey, go go, disciple the nations, get them, teach them to obey all I've commanded, because it wasn't going to have any effect. It's world-changing, y'all, this good news that we have. Everybody is running from something. You realize that? That's true of, of y'all somewhere this morning, and some of you know exactly what that little thing is because it nags at you all the time. You can't stop thinking about it. It keeps you up at night. Others of you, it might be, you might have to kind of tap into that, but we're all running from something all the time. The gospel says you don't have to. Trying to escape, that's what we do. By the grace of God, as Christians, we have a better way to show people. And even though it's hard for us, even, we trust that we do have that helper, that comforter, that Holy Spirit that is in us, that makes us alive to the things of Christ, that turns us back when we go astray. We go to him for that comfort, that rest, and for that assurance, and for that motivation. We are running toward something. That's what Christians do. We run toward something, someone. And as it turns out, the someone we're running to is the someone everyone else is running from. And we get to say, you don't have to. You don't have to run. You don't have to hide. He has made a way. He has sent his son to die in the place of sinners like us, that you may receive forgiveness and mercy, salvation for your eternal soul. It's world-changing, the gospel. It's a world-changing message we have. So here's the challenge. As we think about the idol of entertainment specifically, what are some ways we can guard against it? Okay, What What are some something we might be able to do differently? How can we love God and neighbor more? We've talked about that. That's what we want to know. I would just say, qualify your entertainments. You know what I mean when I say that? You know, just ask the question, uh, can I enjoy this to the glory of God or not? You know? If not, it's not an entertainment you're meant to enjoy. Is it something that scratches an itch for sinful desires? Does, Does it glorify sin? You know? Uh, it may depict sin because y'all you can't you can't write a story about people without sin that's going to be there but does it celebrate it does it glorify it does it bless sin does it call good evil and evil good that's how you can know we shouldn't get comfortable with that sort of thing as christians and we can't we can't we can't fool ourselves into believing y'all that a steady diet of that sort of thing, where it's kind of like borderline, you know, and we kind of give ourselves a pass on it, we can't, we can't be so naive as to think that's not making us a certain kind of person. It is. It's read, read, read Paul's list to Timothy, okay, and consider much of what America calls entertainment and consider how much of America behaves, Secondly, quantify your entertainments. What I mean by that is just how much time do I devote to this source of entertainment? Is it costing me real human relationships, right? Am I ignoring my spouse? Am I ignoring my children, my friend, my church, and spending too much time enjoying this? Does it have a hold on me? Like, do I have control over this, or does it have control of me? Is my phone the first thing I pick up when my eyes open in the morning? Is it the last thing I put down before I close them to go to sleep? Fasting could be a good way of finding out. I'm not prescribing a fast for you. You need to talk to God about that, okay? But I will remind you, all right, that willingly going without something important to us shows us just how important it has become to us. And it reminds us of what's most important. God never says you can't have fun. Having good time is not a sin, right? Entertainment is not evil. We're not called as Christians to be stuffy, stuck in the mud, Stoics all the time who don't know how to have any fun. In fact, if that's true in your life, what you're communicating to others is you really don't know Jesus the way you say you to. It's a joy-filled life. The deepest, most abiding joy in life comes from fellowship with God. That's what we have to remember. That's what we need to be convinced of, not believe the lie. The deepest, most abiding joy in life comes from fellowship with God, not a fleeting source of entertainment. And because we have that, because we have fellowship with God, we don't need to escape reality. This is a good reality. This is good news that I live in this world where a, a, a Redeemer has come and died for me. Are you kidding me? That when I die, that's not the end. I get to go and be in glory with him forever? To live in a a, a renewed heavens and earth? I'm bored in that reality? I want to run away from it? No. The most real and grounded sense of satisfaction your soul can enjoy is found in the person of Jesus Christ and the news of his sacrifice in this message of the gospel he is your redeemer he is your king but here's something else too y'all he says he's your friend he says he's your counselor he is your delight a day in his courts are better than a thousand elsewhere Psalm eighty four ten. that's true and if we not only believe that but we believe it so deeply that we actually seek him out to give us something right to give us something to do when we're bored can you imagine that Can you imagine that? God, I'm bored. Give me something to do. Would that we would be that submissive to our God. Lord, I'm bored. Need something to do. That that inactivity indicator light's going off. Give me something to do. What do you want me to put my mind on right now? You want me to just slow down? You want me to just stop and just pray? And just be at peace and, and still and just knowing that I have you to talk to right now? Do you want me to go talk to that person that I'm not making eye contact with in publics? You want me to? I will if you want me to. If we believe that, y'all, if we believe he's that good, we'll look to him to give us something to do when we're bored. We'll look to him to comfort us when we're worn out, when we're anxious, when we feel a little bit out of sorts, feeling a little bit out of place in the world. If we think about what is excellent and worthy of praise, if instead of looking for a million and one distractions, we focus on those things, what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely and commendable, Philippians chapter 4, then God says he promises the peace of God will be with us. We don't look to God to entertain us. That's not what this sermon's boiling down to, okay? I hope you're catching that. It's not like, well, God is our entertainment. No, he's not. We look to God with whatever it is we're trying to entertain away. So we gotta be able to identify what that is when we leave here today. Is it loneliness? Are we entertaining away loneliness? Boredom? Inactivity? Anxiety? Rather than escape reality, y'all, embrace reality. And this is the reality. You have a God who loves you. I know it's hard to believe that's why we get together and say it every Sunday, don't we? (laughs) We have to be reminded of it. He loves us. He has you right where he has you and for a purpose. He has something for you to do when you're bored. And he will use you when you give him your attention. He says, be anxious for nothing. How do you say that? Be anxious for nothing because the reality is, He's in control, and he means good for you. It's easy to say. Let's pray that that would would be true of us this week. As we leave here today, that we wouldn't say, well, that seems like a good idea. I, I, I like the sound of it. But that God, by his spirit, would move in our lives to continually remind us of things, th- these things. Because we're going to find uh, distractions this afternoon. We're going to find reasons to forget what we've heard this morning. Let's ask God to remind us continually, to renew us, that this would be made evident in our lives, and the way that we care for one another in the church, the way that we Uh, love our wives, men, the way that you love your husbands, women, the way that we care for our children, the way that we have a genuine concern for those around us that may be close to us but far from God, to care for their souls? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord God, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that it gets our attention. We thank you that... You give us constant reminders that your spirit is always with us, but Lord, we thank you for your church. We thank you that we are able to gather like this every week to hear your word, to sing songs of praise together, to be reminded of these precious truths, and God, I pray by the power of your spirit, we would not so easily forget them. This week, would you remind us, would you be our first thought in the morning when we open our eyes? Would you be our first, our last thought before we close them at night? Would you help us to, to praise you morning and night? Would you, would you, Lord, allow for us to pray without ceasing? We don't know what that even looks like. Can't imagine. Would you give us a little taste of that this week? What it looks like to be in, in step with your spirit? to know that we are always in relationship before you. Everything that we do is is ever before you. You can see, but as we heard earlier this morning, you not only see, but you care. You care for our circumstances and the minute details. And pray, Lord, that we as your people would trust you this week and all of the details, that we would rest in the truth of your gospel, the promise of your provision for us, your protection of us, And most of all, your promise to us. Our eternal hope that is ours in Christ. Bless us as we go out this day, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.